Genesis chapter 17, a chapter entitled Faith Assured. One of the things we learn about our God when you study the life of Abram is God is such a patient God. He was patient with Abram and he's patient with us. And it's something we should be so thankful for every day of our lives. God is a very patient God. He, he works with us. And He works to assure us over and over again of His faithfulness and of His promises. You know, like Abram, there are times in our life where we live in a gulf between the promises of God and the fulfillment of those promises. And as I said earlier, what, what really can challenge it is we can look at the circumstances of our life and the circumstances of our life seem to be showing everything other than the fulfillment of God's promises. And I think that's why God calls his people to walk by faith and not by sight. There, there are always going to be those instances where if we looked at the circumstances of our life and that's what we focused on rather than God, we would lose sight of him and we would lose sight of his promises. And he doesn't want us to do that even in those times where we're in between the promise and the fulfillment. As I, we see here with Abram, Sometimes the fulfillment is a long time coming. But that's not a wasted time. That's a time for God to build into his people a stronger faith and a faith that can be stretched out over time. So we begin here by being reminded of how old Abram is now. He's 99. And we saw at the end of chapter 16, when Ishmael was born, he was 86. So 13 years have passed since the birth of Ishmael, from the end of chapter 16 to the beginning of chapter 17. And Abram has resigned himself to be content with Ishmael as the son of promise. We know that because if you just flip over to verse 18 very quickly of chapter 17, notice as Abraham is talking to God, he says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham had become comfortable with his, Abraham's, substitute for God's plan. Abraham had settled. And God does not want his people to ever settle for second best. To settle for what's less than what God can do and what God wants to do. God always wants his people to see, I can do more. I can do more. And I want you to believe that I can do more. I want to encourage each of you here tonight. And those of you who are watching by live stream tonight, to embrace the truth that God can do more in you right now than he's doing, and God can do more through you right now than what he's doing. 
can you get there? Or have you just sort of settled for here? And that's okay, that's good. Because God is always going to come to his people and go, but I've got more. There's more of me and there's more of what I can do in you and there's more of me that I can do through you. And I don't want you to get to the place that Abram got to, to where I had to come and I basically had to revive Abram's faith. And that's exactly what God's doing in chapter 17. He is literally reviving or resurrecting Abram's faith because Abram's struggling right now. He's pretty much just said, I'm good with Ishmael. And God's like, what do you mean you're good with Ishmael? He was born naturally. I want to do something supernaturally. I think about that in our own lives individually and then even as the life of a church. How much do we as a church settle for what we can do by pulling all of our resources together, which is great, but God wants to do things that you and I could never do even as we pulled all of our resources together. God wants to do something supernaturally. So he comes to Abram and he does two things here in the first few verses. He appears to Abram and he renames Abram. And in that, God is reviving his faith by revealing himself to Abram and also by setting before Abram again his promises or reminding Abram of his promises. God does the same thing with us. If you and I are going to have our faith revived, we need to have a fresh revelation of God. We need to have a fresh vision of God, and we need to be reminded of the promises that God has given to us and to be reminded of those promises and be immersed in those promises. So notice in verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the sovereign God. Walk before me and be blameless. God is using a descriptive phrase for himself here for the very first time in the Bible. It is the term El Shaddai. God is saying, I am the all-powerful, all-sufficient God. That's what I am the sovereign God means. In the original, I am El Shaddai. Abram needed to be reminded that God has all power. He is almighty. There is nothing outside of God's strength and might and power that he can't accomplish if he chooses to and wants to. He doesn't even have to strain to do it. And he is the all-sufficient God. He is always enough. He is more than enough. And God needs his people always to see him as El Shaddai, the sovereign God. Maybe tonight, some of you are encouraged just by reminding yourself, yes, you're right. 
I know I have a relationship, a personal relationship with the God of all power and all sufficiency. It's important for all of us to be reminded of that because we can lose sight of it. Notice Abram's response to the revelation of God from God's perspective is, I need you to walk before me and be blameless. What's God then expecting of Abram? Well, again, let me begin by saying that this word walk is the same word it was used in connection with Enoch earlier on in the book of Genesis. Enoch walked with God, and God took him, for he was not. Enoch walked with God. Later on in chapter 6 of Genesis, it says, Noah walked with God. It is a reminder to us that when God encourages people to walk with him, he wants to have a real personal, intimate relationship and fellowship with people. He doesn't want to be this God who's aloof and who's distant. He wants to walk with us every day, and he wants us to walk with him, step by step. He wants us to live in the conscious presence of him every day. That's what it means to walk before me. In other words, not to take a step of our life without realizing we are walking with El Shaddai, the sovereign God, the God of all power and all sufficiency. We don't take a step in life apart from Him and His power and sufficiency in and through us. And the word blameless here simply is God calling on Abram to be wholeheartedly committed to him. He's calling Abram to be committed. To be blameless is not to be sinlessly perfect. It is just simply to, to love God, to worship God, to serve God, to want God, to desire God. It is to be committed to him. And God is saying, after I've revealed who I really am, this is what I want from you. I simply want a deep, intimate, personal communion and relationship with you and to see that you are committed to me. Then God says, then I will confirm my covenant between me and you. And I will give you a multitude of descendants. See, Abram had settled for less because he lost sight of who his God is. And God is reviving his faith by revealing himself to Abram. God may be doing that tonight. Giving you a fresh vision of who he is through our worship time and through our time in the Word. We all need to have our spiritual eyes opened every day and never lose sight of our God. Never allow the circumstances and the trials and all of these things to, in a sense, cloud out or crowd out who our God is. Keep our God front and center and, and have a clarity of who our God is. Then from that, we navigate life. From a clear vision of God is how we navigate life. And that's what God's doing here. 
because he knows. Abram needs this reassurance. He needs this fresh revelation, this fresh appearance of God, if you will. And notice Abram's response, verse 3. He bows down, he falls prostrate with his face to the ground. And then God says to him, as for me, I want you to keep those three words in mind because we're going to come back to those a little bit later on. As for me, so God here is saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is my covenant with you. And notice that God is also now reviving Abram's faith by setting before him his promises. He's reminding Abram of his promises, promises that he gave to Abram much earlier when he was 75 years old and called him out of Haran to follow him. (coughs) Excuse me. It's cough drop time. This night air gets to me. I should have popped it in before I started. All right. So we need to keep God focused, and we also need to keep our focus on the promises. That's why it's so important that we spend time in His Word that we lift out of the pages of Scripture the promises of God and keep them before us. Some of you may have these promises in artwork in your home. You may have them written down on index cards. You may simply have them highlighted in your Bible. However it is, that you can keep the promises of God before you at all times, do it. Keep going back and reminding yourself of those promises. That's how our faith is revived. And God said, verse 4, you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be Abram, Instead, your name will be Abraham, because I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Now, for many years, I'm sure Abram struggled with that name. The name Abram means exalted father. Can you imagine Abram going to a social gathering And somebody asking Abram, hey, Abram, what's your name mean? Exalted Father. How many children do you have? One. Okay. It was almost a source of embarrassment for Abram. You're an exalted father and you've only got one child? Yeah. And now God is changing his name to Abraham the father of many, the father of a multitude. That's a lot for Abraham to swallow. (coughs) Excuse me. Because as of yet, he's only got one child, and that's through Hagar. But God is trying to stretch his faith. 
He's trying to get Abram to see, don't look at your present circumstances. Don't look at where you are right now. And remember, this all started when Abram was 75 and now he's 99. And God keeps telling him, you're going to have children? And it gets harder and harder and harder for Abram and Sarai to believe in this because they keep getting older and older and time keeps passing. And so it becomes even harder for them to embrace the promises of God. So you can even see in the story of Abram how God is trying to stretch this man's faith. And I say that because it's so relevant to us. God will do the same thing with us. Maybe not in the same way. But God always wants us to realize that he can exceed our expectations. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think or pray for. He is El Shaddai, the God who's all-powerful, and all-sufficient. And even though it seems like there is no way these promises of God are ever going to come about, God wants Abram to believe in him and in his word. And God wants us to do the same today. He's made maybe some very fantastical promises to us. And he wants us to trust in those promises and believe in those promises and base our life on those promises, no matter how crazy they may be or counterintuitive they may be compared to where we are circumstantially. Notice he goes on to say, I will make you extremely fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will descend from you. I will confirm my covenant as a perpetual covenant between me and you. It will extend to your descendants after you throughout their generations. So he's saying, Abram, this isn't just about me and you. It starts with me and you, but it's cross-generationally. It's much bigger. You're part of something much bigger than yourself, and God wants to do that with us too. He wants us to realize, I want to make you a link in a chain that's part of something much bigger than yourself. Do you trust me? Do you believe in me? So here in this first part of the chapter, God is trying to revive Abram's faith by revealing himself to Abram as the sovereign God, El Shaddai, and by renaming Abram and reminding him of his promises. Then notice verse 7. I will be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I will give the whole land of Canaan, the land where you are now residing to you and to your descendants after you as a permanent possession. I will be their God. Notice God not only gives many graces and gifts here to his people, he also gives himself. Did you see that? I will be your God. I will be their God. I'm not just giving you land and riches and a legacy. I'm giving you me. 
God wants us to see that so often in this world, we can begin to enjoy the world that God created and all the wonderful things in the world without enjoying God himself, the one who brought it all about. God wants us to make sure that we enjoy him. Not just what he made for us, but him. Then remember I said I wanted you to remember those first three words of verse 4. As for me, that was God's part of the covenant. But a covenant is a two-way street. There are mutual obligations in a covenant. So notice now God says to Abraham in verse 9, as for you. These are your responsibilities. You must keep the covenant requirement that I'm imposing on you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And this is my requirement. Every male among you must be circumcised. Notice the closest possible identification is made between the sign itself and the covenant. Now, something, again, I want to point out here is God's primary thing here is commitment. That's what he's looking for from Abraham in this requirement of circumcision. Will you be committed to me? And it has nothing to do with the external surgery. It has to simply do with the obedience of, will you do this, you see? Sort of just like baptism. It, it's an outward sign, but it's more a heart issue of, I will do, God, what you ask me to do. And this responsibility requirement is something we need to talk about for a minute because it, it carries over to our requirements, if you will, as God's people. To see it from God's perspective is that these things that God asks of his people, if we look at them correctly, are designed to strengthen our faith. They are designed to spiritually enhance us and grow us. They're not to be burdensome. I say that because keep your finger there and go way over with me to the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Way over to the end of the New Testament. First John, chapter 5, verse 3. <clears throat> Notice what John writes here. Very important verse. For this is the love of God. What? That we keep his commandments. <laughs> so John is saying, you realize that all these commandments are actually born out of God's love for us. Whatever he asks of us to do, it's for our own good. That's what John says. And then he says, and his commandments do not weigh us down. Again, they're not unreasonable. They're not oppressive. They're not burdensome. When we look at them from God's perspective, they actually, again, are for our spiritual benefit. God was trying to get Abraham to see this about circumcision. Abraham, if you just do what I tell you to do, and you and all the males, you teach them to be circumcised, 
I will bless you because you're following what I've asked you to do. And it will strengthen your faith every time you follow through with it. By the way, if you go down to verse 12 of chapter 17 back in Genesis, notice God even gives Abram the instruction on what day to circumcise the male child. Throughout your generations, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. For years, I was like, why the eighth day? I couldn't find anything to help me theologically or culturally. And then I started looking into the medical side of it. And I actually realized that, oh, God, again, being God, knows more than any of us, you know. And he made this instruction based upon clotting. I learned that on the eighth day after one is born, it is the one day a person's clotting factor is actually at 110%, the highest that it ever is in our lifetime. After that, it goes back to normal. And if you were to circumcise, say, on the third day, the clotting mechanism of a baby is only about 30%. They could literally bleed out. So God instructed Abraham, I'm going to tell you when it's safest medically to circumcise. When the clotting is... Now, today, when babies are born, they're given vitamin K right away, and they're able to clot much quicker. But obviously, back then, they didn't know. God told them. And it's just a reminder that God is in the details of everything. And he does what he does and says what he says for our own good. If they wouldn't have listened to God and say circumcised them earlier than the eighth day, it would have been a lot of trouble. You see. God knows what he's talking about. And everything that God asks of us, again, is for our own good. And it's only to strengthen us. So even today, when God says, I want my people to be in the Word, and I want them to pray, and I want them to, to be in my house, and I'm like, these things should not be burdensome. We should realize as New Testament Christians, just as Abram did, that if I do these things, they're not oppressive to me. They actually strengthen me. They actually make me grow. They actually put me in a better place. They give me a better attitude, give me a better perspective. I'm going to do these things because they're a blessing to me. That's what God wants his people to see. But we only get to that place again when we walk with God and know his heart and know that everything he asks of us or everything he asks us to avoid is only for our own good. It is out of his love that he says these things. Then verse 15. Notice God is persistent in his quest for our assurance. Because he also comes to Abram and says, Abram, I want you to relay this to your wife. And I also believe in my own heart that God was also speaking to Sarai too. Because God works on 
both ends or all ends of an equation. But notice what God said to Abraham. As for your wife, you must no longer call her Sarai, my princess. Sarah will be her name, royal princess, heroine of her people. And I will bless her. I'm not just blessing you. I'm blessing her too, Abraham. I'm going to give you a son through her. I will bless her and she will become a mother of nations. Kings of countries will come from her. Listen, most people remember the fact that Sarah laughed, right? But you know who laughed first? Abraham. Because then Abraham bowed down with his face to the ground and laughed. But I want to point out something here. This was not a cynical laugh. This was not a laugh of unbelief. Abraham, again, is assuming a position of worship before God. It's, it's just like he cannot, as a human being, wrap his mind around it. it. It's just totally, to think that a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman is going to have a child, he, he, just, he just doesn't know what to do with that. He's struggling. And I want to remind all of us that even saving faith struggles. Because Abraham had saving faith. He believed God and God counted it as righteousness. But there are some times where God comes to us and he says things and makes promises that again seem so far out there that even for those of us who believe we have a hard time accepting it, at least at the time. And God needs to keep reassuring us. I can do this. You've got to trust me. I know you can't see how a 99-year-old man or a 100-year-old man is going to have a child or be able to have a child and a 90-some-year-old wife. I know that's impossible. But I'm the God of the impossible. You've just got to... I've got to take you beyond... I've got to stretch you. I've got to stretch who you think I am. I'm too small in your eyes, Abram. I need to become bigger in your eyes. I need to grow. I need to increase. You need to begin to see me for all that I am. I am El Shaddai, the God of all power and all sufficiency. And you're not there yet, but I'm going to continue to work with you, Abraham, until you get there. Notice. He not only laughed, he said to himself, can a son be born to a man who's 100 years old? Can Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Yeah, with God. With God. And and I say that because maybe some of you here tonight, it's like you're at a place in life where you're just struggling to believe in something that God has revealed to you or said to you or promised to you, and you're just having a hard time accepting it. Let God revive your faith. And no matter how crazy it may sound or seem, you keep trusting in the Lord and don't give up those dreams that God has placed within you. Because God can do it. Because He's the sovereign one. 
Again, Abraham says to God in verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham has become comfortable with his substitute. And God's like, Oh, don't settle for Ishmael. I want to exceed your expectations. I want to, I want to show you, Abraham, that I don't have any limits. That I can do way more in and through you than you could ever imagine. You, I just want you to get there. So notice what God says to him in verse 19. We'll wrap this up in just a couple moments. And this is important. God said no. God ever told you no? Sure he does. But when God tells his people no, it's always because he wants us to get to the place where we realize and accept that he's going to do something even greater for us when he says no. If God shuts one door, it's only because he has a bigger door to open. This is the no of grace. Because God says, no, I'm not going to let you be satisfied with Ishmael. Sarah, your wife, is going to bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. And he goes on to say, I'm going to confirm my covenant with him. Yes, Ishmael's going to have a tremendous impact in this world. And I'm going to bless him temporally, but I'm going to bless Isaac spiritually. And he's going to be the one through whom I work through. In fact, he says that in verse 21. I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. By the way, there's a play on words here from God. The name Isaac means laughter. And from God's or from Abraham's perspective, from Sarah's perspective, and probably even from their family and friends' perspective, this is laughable. Hundred-year-old man and ninety-some-year-old woman going to have a child. That's laughable. Guess what? God had the last laugh. In fact, Isaac's name, I think, was always a reminder to Abram. God can do anything. Maybe the next time God comes to me and reveals something to me or promises me something, maybe I won't laugh. Because God always has the last laugh. Well, in the final section of this chapter, I want you to see that even though Abraham is still struggling to believe all that God is revealing to him, we see the obedience of Abraham that flows from his faith. Because the Bible says in verse 23 that Abram took his son Ishmael and every male in his household on that very same day that God revealed this to him. He didn't put it off. He didn't procrastinate. He went right out that day and he went through his entire family and entire camp and he had everybody circumcised. Which, by the way, can I tell you, was not a popular decision, probably. Because <laughs> Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. 
And many of the men that he circumcised were obviously older. I'm sure that was the last thing they wanted to do. And as we even said in the book of Joshua when we studied it, that put them in a vulnerable position for several weeks until they healed. Something that I'm sure that they were, it wasn't popular. But Abraham wanted to be obedient even when he didn't totally understand it all. It's like, okay, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. And, and I say that to encourage us that even in those seasons where you're struggling to truly believe what God has promised or what he's revealed, do the things that you know God has been asking you to do. And through that, let him revive your faith. Because that's exactly what was happening here in chapter 17. God knew Abram was struggling. That's why he appeared to him. That's why he took all this time and conversed with him and renamed him and set before him his promises again. He gets it. And God will do the same with us. But there comes that time, too, where God says, now I need you to do this for me. I need you to walk with me, to get to know me. I need you to be committed to me. I need you to obey me. And as you do these things, your faith in me and who I am will be strengthened. And God asks us the same thing. He's saying to us tonight, just keep doing what you know you need to do. And those breakthroughs of your faith will come. Those times where your faith has the ability now to stretch further will be there. But it's going to come through the cumulative effect of doing what you and I should be doing day in and day out. As you and I leave here tonight, or as you shut us off from your homes on live stream tonight, I want to leave you with this. Go to bed tonight reminding yourself that our God is the sovereign one. He is El Shaddai. He is the God of all power and all sufficiency. Let's keep him before our sight at all times. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that you show what kind of God you are. You're such a patient God, loving God, reassuring God, a God who comes back and, Lord, continues to work with us as we struggle to believe in all that you reveal to us and all that you've promised us. And so, God, I pray tonight that we don't get down on ourselves or discouraged when we have those seasons and moments of our life, but that we'll just press into you and lean into you even more. That we'll follow through with the instructions that you even gave to Abraham about walking before you and being wholeheartedly committed to you. Doing the things that we know we need to do because, Lord, we know that ultimately they're out of your love for us and they will strengthen us, not burden us. So God, go with us tonight. Help us to have a fresh vision of you. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.